Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and also the book of James chapter 4. Good to have our visitors tonight. God bless you for being here. And we're honored to have anybody come by and visit with us from time to time. Thank you so much for that privilege. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God if you're able to stand. Chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. We spoke on it for several weeks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I simply want to read the verse in context of Paul's admonition to the church of Ephesus, how to live and how to walk and so forth. But verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And that is a command of God in the Greek language. It's a command imperative action. It means we're supposed to do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And one of the commandments of the New Testament is, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about that a little more tonight in just a minute. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 6. And let's read down through verse 10. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? By the way, has anybody had the privilege of reading through the Bible this year? Anybody? Anybody make some progress this year from last year? You did? Praise the Lord. That's great. Anybody over here? How many of you read one chapter this year? How many read two chapters? How many read a bunch of chapters? God bless you. Keep reading the Bible. Just read it. Read it. Read it. Over and over again. As much as you possibly can. But he, that's God, giveth grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Circle the word humble, if you would, please. Submit, circle the word submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Circle the word humble again. And be, and he shall lift you up. Now, would you read it expository with me, please? Verse 6, let's read it. But, I want to hear you. Amen. Keep reading. Amen. Amen. Glad you got through. That was great. Father, bless. We pray the reading of the Word of God. Something about just reading it. Uh, Lord means a whole lot to all of us as Christians. Trust we read it regularly, but especially at church together, reading the Word of God. And your admonitions, your commands, your instructions for us, if we're going to live the Christian life the way we should. And we need all the help we can get. So, Father, help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Thank you. So many be seated. We talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being controlled by the Holy Spirit. He's the Lord and Master of our soul. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord uh, speaks of sovereignty. It means control. It means He's over us. He's our Lord. And we never forget the emphasis in the Bible on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But He is Jesus, and they shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And I'm glad He's my Savior, and all God's people would say. And then He is the Messiah, the Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Anointed One. 
And we're glad, even back in reading through Genesis again, Adam and Eve were looking for the anointed one. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for a godly child. And of course, you know the story of one killing the other and uh, Cain killing Abel and then Seth came along later, the godly line of the Old Testament. And I'm grateful to God for the Messiah who did come over 2,000 years ago. But the fact is, He is Lord Jesus Christ, but He says, Be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Ghost of God, we've talked about it already, comes to dwell in our bodies the day we're saved. I did not know that. I did not understand that as a child. You say, well, how do you know you feel the Holy Spirit? Because God said so. You don't have to feel Him, F-E-E-L, but you must have the F-I-L-L, the feeling of the Holy Ghost of God, which means to control the body. The older I got in my Christian life, I began to understand more and more about the Holy Spirit. I heard Dr. Jack Howells preach when he was a pastor in Texas. He said, I never knew much about the Holy Spirit at all as a pastor. We just didn't talk about it. Talk about Jesus, talk about uh, the Lord, but there's very much little said about uh, the, the Holy Ghost of God. He wrote a book on Meet the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a good book. It's one you can enjoy reading if you ever get a chance to read it. Meet the Holy Spirit. And he said, there was a time in my life when I met the Holy Spirit. I'd met Jesus already. I knew about the Lord Jesus. I knew about Christ. But the Holy Spirit was like a stranger to us. And have you talked to the Holy Spirit lately? Like Brother Beckham, who talks to the Father a lot. Have you talked to the Father? Have we talked to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's in us to help us. He's in us to what? He is in us to energize us. He's in us to do what? He is to help us to win the battles of the Christian life. Jesus said, I'll not leave you comfortless, but when I go away, I'll send another. And that other is going to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I will go with thee. We're going to, we're going to all get together before we leave tonight, all right? Jesus said, I will never leave thee. I will never I will go with thee all the way. And even I missed it. I don't know what it says. I will go with thee all the way, even to the end of the world. Now, the Holy Ghost of God's on the inside of me. And when the rapture takes place, he's going to help us. I don't have enough sense or enough strength to get up and get open to the rapture. When the come comes up, come up hither, and the cry comes out, all of God's children that are alive in these last generation is going to go up in the air. It's called the rapture of the church. Now, it's not the rupture, it's the rapture. That means every individual who is saved with the grace of God is going to go up in the rapture. Jesus will come back later, but he's coming down in the air, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit's always been around in the dawn of creation. It was let us make man, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit brooded upon the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit's always been and usually in the Old Testament, he came upon people for power and strength, and the Holy and the Spirit came upon Gideon, the Spirit came upon Samson, and so forth, and he came upon him. But in the New Testament, we've talked about it already. The Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God, dwells on the inside of my body and your body. Can I see him? I've never seen God. I've never seen the Holy Spirit, but I know He lives in my heart as a Christian. The more I study about the Holy Spirit, the more I'm aware He's there. And sometimes you just need to stop and say, Oh, Holy Spirit, I need to talk to you. I need some extra help. Holy Spirit, I'm facing the greatest trial of my life. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. Jesus went back to heaven. 
but he sent the Holy Spirit to be in everybody everywhere around the world. So you can go in all parts of the world today and sometimes not even speak the language of that nation, but if they're Christians or something that sort of draws you together, that again is the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Ghost of God is to fill and control our lives. So why believers are not filled with the Holy Spirit? What I want to talk about tonight. I need this. Why believers are not filled with the Holy Spirit? You see, a preacher was supposed to be controlled by the Spirit. Then you read the rest of chapter 5 and see if you're doing what it says to do if you feel the Holy Spirit. Some of us would, some of us come way short. I say maybe all of us would of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. One of the great desires and the great uh, truths that the, some of the early fathers, church fathers in America longed for was the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Do we have that? Do we know if we had it, would we know it? Do we know that God dwells in us? Have we ever sensed His presence in our life? Have we? It's a good question. But if you're to be filled with the Spirit as a command, then why aren't we being filled with the Holy Spirit? I remember hearing a story years ago about giving your all to the Lord and everything you have and give to the Lord Jesus. And so he was taking an offering and says, now you give as God leads you and directs you and to be sure you give as God directs you. So the ushers were coming down the aisles and there was a little boy who was crippled sitting on the end and he motioned to one of the ushers and the usher came over and said, put the offering plate on the floor if you would. And son, son, I'm trying to take the offering. He says, I know, but just put it on the floor. He had a little pair of crutches that he walked on. And he put those crutches in the offering plate. And he said, Mr., I don't have a lot to give to the Lord. What I have, I give to him. If he can use my crutches, then I want to give it to my Lord today. A tremendous thought of a child wanting to give something to God out of the ordinary because of the fact that God had blessed him and he was spoken to by the Holy Spirit. And we need to be willing and ready and able to say, Lord, take my life. Let it be completely controlled by thee and help me to be a blessing to other folks. But why aren't we filled with the Holy Spirit? Where's the joy of the church? He talks about having joy and peace and talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, meekness, so forth. Uh, he said there's, there's no law against that. He said it's in nine fruit of the Holy Spirit is supposed to dwell in our bodies. If one person has them all. It's one tree with nine fruit. One tree with nine fruit. And all nine fruit are supposed to be born in our life. And they all can be Jesus, 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 Jesus. Not nine Jesuses, but the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus had every one of them. And then he says, I want you to follow me. And I want, I want, you to, be, I want to be an example to you. And I want you to follow the Lord. And then Paul said, I'm trying to follow the Lord. I want to follow the Lord. And I hope you can follow my example. I would like to live a Christian life. Come follow us. Come follow me as I follow God. But what keeps us from having... The big S, and we have the little S. I mean by that this. You're filled with something. You're filled with something. All of us are filled with something. You say, yeah, I know what it is. <laughs> Bunch of junk in me. He says, be filled with the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. But if you're not filled with Him, you're filled with the spirit of pride, spirit of jealousy, spirit of selfishness, hatred, resentment. There's something on the inside of you that's replacing and taking the place of the Holy Spirit's control of your life. He doesn't pop in and out. Well, the Holy Spirit jumped out of my life because I did something wrong. He's there for you until the day of redemption. It's called the earnest of the Spirit, the seal, 
that we've been saved by the grace of God. And so he's there. But I think all of us have either preached or taught it over the years. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can, you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can put as it were, water on the fire. He wants to make us rejoicing as we yield to him. He gives us strength to do that. But we resist that sometimes because we have the wrong spirit. And I think the one that battles most of us, including this preacher, is the spirit of pride. We're partially filled with some other spirit, and I believe the spirit of pride, because out of pride comes about every other sin. When you get to Proverbs chapter 6, and you're reading about the seven, seven things God hates, he begins with pride. And then it looks like out of that pride comes all the other six that are there coming from pride. The same way with the fruit of the Spirit. It starts with love, and out of love flows the rest of them. It's just the way God does things. But back to James chapter 4, just a moment. He giveth more grace, and I'm going to need that, and you're going to need that in this new year. More grace. God resists the who? God resists the who? But giveth grace to the who? Now, which you'd rather be, full of pride or full of humility? And all God's people would say, humility. Well, Emma, are you? Now, he doesn't give this an option. He says, but God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Then he says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will do what? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. doesn't mean that you don't have joy. It means you also can carry a burden at the same time and be able to desire to live a good godly life. But in verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Read it again, please. And looking right up here, where's that found at? Let's try it again. James 4 what? James 4.10 what? I hope when we go to bed tonight we'll be bombarded with it. James 4.10, James 4.10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Who am I supposed to do it in front of? The Lord. Lord, I want to be humble. I'm going to talk about that a little bit just tonight. Pride is dangerous and deadly. And we talk about the deadly sins I mentioned a moment ago. Pride will cause the floodgates of revival to stop. If my people which are called by my name shall pray and humble and seek my face, humble themselves before God, 2 Chronicles 7.14. And he wants us to have revival, but the reason we don't have revival is because of pride. Now you're going to say, preacher, I don't have pride. I'm going to come to that in just a minute. It causes our nation to go downhill. God will exalt you. God will exalt any nation that honors him. You honor God, he'll honor you. All the way through the Bible, he honored them when they honored him. When they did not honor him, he judged them. I think we're under the verge of the judgment of God. Unless something unusual happens, we're still praying for revival, but I don't know how much we really want it. We talk about, we talk about it and we pray about it, but across the country, in this country, there's less of it than there is in the other countries of the world. I had the privilege a while ago to speak to the folks in the Philippines uh, gave greetings at their 16th anniversary of their church that we built and support over there. And it was a joy to be able just to speak to them there in the Philippines. But in some of the countries of the world, there's more people getting right with God than they are in America. 
we were hoping, praying that it will turn around. But the Bible says also that in the last days, you know, many shall turn away from God, the great apostasy, and many shall turn away from the Lord. And how sad that is, it seems to be hitting us. God don't have to use America anymore. He's used us to launch missionaries around the world. But when God takes his hand off of a nation or off a person, that's serious business. When God just withholds his hand of mercy and goodness and greatness, God is a good God. He wants us to live for him and serve him and obey him. But yet sometimes we get full of pride. It destroys homes. Most of the arguments my wife and I have had have been because of my pride. I don't think it was much as her pride. I'd like for her to say the same thing I'm saying. <laughs> but most of our arguments probably are me, okay? And when I'm arguing with her or fussing with her, now don't look at me like you never fuss with your wife. You look like saints out there. Nobody ever fusses with their husband or wife. How many had a fuss this week? Appreciate your honesty. God bless you. How many's going to have one next week? You just let it build up in you so you can really give a real thrashing. But the fact is, it causes homes to be destroyed. It ruins and wrecks them. See, if you have humility and you humble yourself down before God, you'll humble yourself down before others. You'll find that repentance is a lot easier when you repent to God because the others comes automatically from that. If I confess my sins to God, I can't be right with God and not right with somebody else. See, the vertical is four commandments in the Old Testament. You've got to have a vertical relationship with God before you can have the last six of the Ten Commandments, a relationship with other folks. So I can't be right with, I can't be out of sorts with my wife and be right with God. And you can't either. Amen. You can't be right with God and be out of sorts with anybody. Well, you say, I don't like them. Well, they may not like you either. But that's not the issue. Can you love them? People have done me wrong. Well, have you ever done God wrong? And I'm not saying it's easy sometimes to take the problems we face in life. All of us have been hurt mightily one way or the other, and sometimes it's difficult. I was sharing a portion of David Gibbs's illustration the other day. He told about the mother who they drug her out of a car in a parking lot, stole her children away, took her out in the woods and raped her over and over again, beat her up, cut her with a knife, tried to leave her for dead. They left saying, we've killed her, and they walked away. She went, they, she crawled on her hands and knees up to the highway. Somebody saw a bloody woman laying on the, on, on the road. They got rescue squad there. She did not die. She lived. They took her to the hospital. She was in the hospital for weeks and months on end with surgeries and all the plastic surgery down the road trying to make it look halfway decent again. But after several months, probably several years, it went to court. The guys were arrested because she turned them in. She told them who they were. And when they come down to courtroom situation, she's face to face with those who had cut her up, raped her, and humiliated her to no end. The judge was getting ready to give the, the judgment. He said, it's most despicable, the most terrible sins I've ever heard in my life as a judge. If I had the ability, I would sentence you to death over and over and over and over again until you never understood, never got a hold of the fact how bad a deed you did. I just keep on killing you, killing you, killing you. Bring you back to life if I could. That's what you deserve. I'm going to make a ruling, the judge says. And the woman stopped him. In the middle of the trial, she stood up. She said, Judge, can I say something? He said, if you want to. She said, you see these scars on my face, on my body? 
I'll carry them the rest of the days of my life. Every time I look in the mirror, I'll see myself, what happened to me, and what these guys did. I have no hatred in my heart toward them. She says, Judge, whatever sentence you give, I'll leave that to you. I'll never forget what happened. I can forgive them. I go on record today to say they have been forgiven because the Lord Jesus is my Savior and He has forgiven me for all the things I've done and I'm going to forgive them. You say, that's worse. See, then you start categorizing sins. What's the worst sin? What's the worst sin? I know I'd have difficulty doing that. How about you? If I saw those guys in, in a courtroom and they had raped and humiliated my wife, I'd probably be coming over the bench wanting to beat somebody up. And somewhere along the way, we've got to understand the grace of God. That's not easy. And that statement I made made us stop and think, could I do that? I'm telling you what the woman did. And if anybody had a right to say she was mad and mean to those toward those guys, it would be her. But she says, I will remember it all of my life. I'll never forget what I've been through. It was terrible, but I forgive. I remind you, Jesus' death was terrible. They beat him to a pulseless piece of meat. He was like chopped liver for modern vernacular. I mean, he was beat from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, blood all over him, scars all over him, humiliated, mocked, laughed at, kicked and slapped around while he was probably even on the ground uh, when he stumbled with the cross. They probably kicked him a few times to get up, get up, slapped him around. You can imagine the worst that could happen. But all the humiliation he went through with, hanging on a cross as a piece of meat, ugly, no beauty that we should desire him, Isaiah 53 or 52 says. He was humiliated beyond measure. Now he did it. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. They don't understand the magnitude of my love. They don't understand why I care. They don't understand why I even came. I came to die for these that are on the cross beside me and those who are down beneath the cross beneath me and those in all of Jerusalem that hate me I come to save their souls. That's a tremendous love that I sometimes don't know if we reach in our Christian life. Somebody said, if you're expecting me to love everybody, I'm just not going to do it. You just take it up with God. You and God have a conversation about it and see what you come up with. And what you do is between you and the good Lord and the Word of God. The Word of God has answers to it, answers for us. It devastates our lives. It'll drive men to hell. Most, if not all people, go to hell, especially as they get older, because of pride. Most folks get saved when they're young. They get saved when they're little. I was nine. Many of you were saved 10, 11, 12, 13, teenage years. Very few of you have been saved past 45 or 55. There's a few that have when we take the survey in our church. But most are saved before the age of 25. Their lives were young and youthful and full of, full of zeal and uh, desire to do something in life. And God saved them in a marvelous way. And praise the Lord for that, to change the whole direction of their life. And yet, so many never get saved. And the older one gets, the harder it is to get right with God. You build up a, sort of a tough hide to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Genesis 6-3, My spirit shall not always strive with you. And if I understand that correctly, there will be time the Holy Spirit will quit drawing you. You've hardened your heart, therefore He can't get through to you. He loves you, but He just backs off. And there are people who I believe have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost who will never be saved. They never be saved. All sin is forgiven by God except blasphemy of the Holy Ghost of God. And I'm glad that God's a forgiving God. But it's a deceptive sin. 
And sometimes it's hard to admit when we have pride. He says, give honor to those who are worthy of honor. So the Bible says, revere and honor your wife, 1 Peter 3, 7. Wives, reverence your husbands, Ephesians 5, 33. That's all a man needs. That's all a woman needs, to be loved and appreciated for who she is and who he is. But sometimes our pride gets the worst of us. I remember reading a little humorous story years ago, two, two people sitting on the porch, an old man and a woman. They were sitting there in a the rocking chair and having a conversation and and she says something to him and he said, what'd you say? She was saying, I love you, but it sounded like I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you. He said, what'd you say? I'm tired of you. He said, I'm tired of you too. I've been married for 65 years. I don't think they were tired of each other. They just had a lack of communication and uh, sometimes words don't come out the way you want them to. But I'm proud of you should be the statement we make. I'm proud of you too. And yet we've sometimes let pride eat away at us little by little and create a problem. Let me give you just a couple of points and we'll go to the house. Pride is independence from God. Pride is independence from God. Now, we all believe that God is real. I said, draw nigh to me. You think Adam and Eve drew near to God when they committed the sin of disobedience to the Lord? I mean, they walked with God every day. And God come walking in the cool of the day, and they conversed together, they talked together, they fellowshiped together. And I really believe that God enjoyed that. He made man to enjoy and bring glory to him. And he walked with them and talked with them and fellowship with them. And they had a great relationship. I don't know how long it happened before sin, but the fact is there come a day when Eve was deceived by the devil and she ate of the forbidden fruit and then offered to Adam. And she, what she's saying is this, and what Adam said, I don't need God. I can make decisions on my own. He told us not to. It was a command of God not to eat of the tree of good and knowledge. Evil, good, good, evil, that tree. He told them not to eat of, of good and evil. And yet they ate of that tree. I can, that old philosophy, I can do it by myself. It's all right for me to do it. I mean, the devil has given us, he was a serpent, but he was more subtle than any beast of the field. And however that happened in talking to them, he convinced them that God's word wasn't true. Convinced them that God had something, he's holding out on them. And they believe that. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the devil used every imaginable thing he could to deceive Adam and Eve, and especially Adam. It was not woman's transgression that caused man to fall. It was the man's. How close was Adam to Eve when she ate of that tree? I don't know. He was supposed to be her protector. He was to be the one who cherished her and loved This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Boy, well, I love her with all of my heart. And she listened to the devil. And women have a lot of power. Don't ever forget this. Sometimes women have tremendous power over a man. Sometimes they don't think they have any, but they have more than they realize. And sometimes they can cause a man to maybe want to do something he shouldn't do or maybe go out and commit some sin or even try to buy something he shouldn't buy. <laughs> Women have tremendous power sometimes in persuasion. But the fact is, we sometimes have pride. Men need to be proud of their wife. Wives need to be proud of their husband and need to encourage folks along the way. What is pride? Pride is independence from God. They got, they got away from God's will for their life there in the garden. 
God, I don't need you. I can do it by myself. I can manage my own life. Thank you. Adam and Eve were saying that in actions, not in words. I know they regretted that, I'm sure. Remember how important it is that we learn how to trust God. Like Joshua, they failed to trust God when they went up against Ai and got, and got whooped by a little country called Ai. They were doing it in their flesh. They were doing it without God, without prayer, without supplication, without seeking God's face. And so they lost the battle. False security. The captain of his own ship, so said William Henley, the agnostic, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I am the captain of my ship. And his ship was about to sink and he didn't realize it. As a matter of fact, he committed suicide himself. I'm in charge of my life. I can do what I want to do, when I want to do it, and nobody's going to tell me. And he committed suicide. He wasn't happy at all, but he made that famous quote, I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. It's a false security that pride puts you in that you can get along without God. How do I know I'm getting along without God? Have you talked to him today? Have I talked to him today? That's not, a, not trying to be super critical of all of us. But the devil knows how to get our minds detoured. He knows how to work on us. He knows how to make us rush into the day. Yeah. He gets us to the place where we need to get things done. I got, I'm a busy man. I've got a lot to do. And my schedule's full already. Martin Luther, and I'm no example of this by no means, but Martin Luther, when he had more to do, would get up earlier. Well, tremendous thought. Because he said, I've got to spend the first several hours with my Lord. I've got to spend some time. Now, I'm not dictating to you how long you spend with the Lord every day. But don't you think there ought to be some time? How many would agree? This means amen. Don't you think you ought to talk to God more than we did last year? If we're really on the verge of the end of time, and I believe we are, I've been preaching many, many years of my own life. I preached the same truths that our guys are preaching now that you've heard over and over again from this pulpit of other evangelists and preachers in our church who preached about the second coming of Christ. And those same messages were preached years ago when men got a hold of prophecy preaching. And it seems to be, we thought, it was, we thought the Lord was coming right then. And then the years have passed, and I was reading about Noah and how it got. They were eating and drinking, marrying, getting in marriage, having a wonderful time, and did not know until the flood came. Can you imagine all the signs of the times? Because Noah was a preacher of righteousness and preaching to them. They never got it. And then when the rain started, boy, their eyes were open and they wondered what in the world. When the judgment of God comes the next time, the whole world's going to see him. Every eye is going to see him. It's going to be a time like never been before in all of the history of the world. Failure to surrender. Failure to acknowledge God every day. Failure to ask God for strength and grace every day. The year has come to a close just about. I'll talk more about it maybe Sunday night for just a little bit, not a whole lot. Some of you have had a lot of valleys. You've been in the place who went through the valley of Becca, B-A-C-A, in the book of Psalms. He said, when you go through the valley of Becca, make a well. Make a well. Get you refreshing from the water of life. Also make a well because somebody's going to follow after you. And as they follow after you, what kind of insurance and assurance they have, everything's all right if we don't teach them that. We teach them everything in the world except to walk with God. And we're all guilty at times. We're trying to make this thing work through our own energy and my ability. See, that's your pride. Look at me, I'm this and I'm that. When I say I'm this and I'm that and I'm so glad I am this and I am that, 
uh, and if I ain't careful, I'll start bragging on my abilities. I have no abilities apart from God's grace. I don't mean I have to go around saying how humble I am because if, you, if you're humble, you usually don't know it. You ever heard anybody say this, and I'm not being critical, I hope I'm not. Forgive me if it does sound critical, but it is truth. So what most more said, no matter what the reaction may be. Well, I'll tell you one thing, I sure am proud of my humility. Wow, that's a good statement. I'm so proud. You don't find me a preacher for any sin I've, that I don't commit. Yeah, of all the sins, I'm a humble person. See, when you think you're humble, you're not humble. Humility is one of those kind of graces you don't know you got. Others may see it in you. Somebody else may say, that's the humblest man or woman I've ever seen in my life. Boy, they have that grace of humility. But most of us would probably be looked at by somebody else and say, <laughs> they think they're humble. <laughs> yeah, it's a grace. The whole Sermon on the Mountain is built around humility, the meek and humble. Humble yourself, humble yourself. Well, you humble yourself before God, then you say, every day, Lord, I'm yours. I belong to you. I don't deserve anything. And we say that with our lips, but do we mean it with our heart? Because when the temptation comes so easy, we are drawn astray. I believe we can live more humblier. Is that a word? We can be more humble as we go along. And God knows when we humble because it says it's in the sight of the Lord. Whatever God says, it's in the sight of the Lord, our humility. It's not in the sight of men altogether. They may see it, but He's looking. And He says, if you'll draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. Humble yourself in my presence. I'll come be with you. I'll help you. I don't know about you, but I need, I need a lot of help. Uh, I need more help than I've ever dared to admit in my life. And uh, I'm glad God gravitates toward our weakness. The weaker we are, the better we'll be. Because we'll have strength. If He gravitates toward our weakness, Lord, I draw nigh to You, and He draws nigh to us. We have the power and the strength of the Holy Ghost of God that He said be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let Him help you. Let Him help you. Let him help you. Let him help me. I just want to challenge you tonight. Let's be careful about pride in our own life. Let's say, with the good grace of God, I want to humble myself down before the Lord and say, Lord, it's yours. You belong to you. And whatever comes our way, I'll accept it. And that's not easy to say when the time comes. It's easy to say before it happens, but then when you're going through it, why me, O oh Lord? I closed with this years ago. Somebody in our church, they're in glory now. They said to me, preacher, I don't understand God. And I said, I don't either. They said, God, I pray for my mother to be healed and she was not. She died. I don't understand that. My mother, my best friend, she helped me so much. And I don't know if I could go on without her. She said, I guess I just can't go on. She said, why did God do that? I said, I have no idea why God does what He does. He allows things to happen in our life. I would suggest you start saying, Lord, thank you that I had her for so many years. And she was my mother. And I loved her. And I'll always revere her memory. I like to walk down memory lane now as I got older. Walk down memory lane with my dad and mother. Those things you talked about when you were younger that sometimes comes back as you get older. And you begin to reminisce about your past. Would you please forgive old people if sometimes they want to reminisce? Would you forgive him if they tell you the same thing over and over again? And I, Mr. Q died, lived to be 90, what, 93, Nancy? 93. I 
rode with him on a number of times. He, when he got where he couldn't drive, I, I drove him, but it was a, a real experience, him driving or me driving with both bad drivers. But Mr. Key, from our house on Mayberry Lane over this way to, to town, I heard the same story a hundred times. A hundred times. He talks about this person who's over here. He tells me every time we're going to road, he didn't bring it up. And you, see, you, you want to say, well, I've heard that before. No, let them talk. Just let them say what they want to say. And you just sort of enjoy it because the time will come we won't be there. There'll be times, I remember my daddy, of course, excuse me for going along, it's three minutes to eight, and I'll be through in a minute. My daddy would come to a red light and he'd do, he'd do this. Hocus pocus tocus. And he'd go through some hokey docus tocus thing. And then he says, watch it, kids, watch it. The light's going to change. <laughs> and he'd wait till the light was going to change. We thought that was the greatest thing in the world. Never thought about it for a long time until just then. How Dad used to have all those exciting times. He'd come home to the house and want to wrestle with us and put us under the cover. And he'd get the wrestling on the bed. Now, Mom didn't like that, but Dad did. And we'd get the wrestling under the covers. And he said, he'd get her to try to scare us to death, have fun with us, play, play cowboys and Indians. He was hiding, I was hiding. Those times they come back, I'm glad I've got a daddy over there. And I had a daddy here. That maybe was not perfect, but he tried to walk humbly with his God. Will you help me and you pray for me and I'll pray for you as we come to the new year that we'll walk humbly with our God. And all that God's people said, Amen. let's stand together, please. Father, forgive me for going a little bit longer tonight than normal. I pray, Lord, you'll bless our people. Thank you for the Word of God. I know it's very shallow, very frail, perhaps what I said, but it's Bible. And the Bible tells us to humble ourselves, and that's the truth of God. And Lord, may we learn how to do that and walk with God. Just get out of ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about our pats on the back. We don't need to pat ourselves on the back. God will take care of that. Lord, help us just to walk humbly with our God. And I'm glad for that wonderful truth in the Bible. Lord, somebody might need to come and pray tonight about a need in their life. May they respond accordingly to the will of God. And we'll thank you for it. Bless the invitation. In Jesus' name.